We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world eight bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginner all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match and programming was the fuse as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Hey, Jeff, so, you know, what was our favorite arcade when we were kids? The Castle Park Arcade in Redondo Beach, California. That's right. The Castle Park Arcade in Redondo Beach, California. And before we say anything, I recorded a story about it. And let's listen to that right now. An ode to Castle Park. Most video game fans from the Golden Age, roughly 1978 to 1983, frequented an arcade that they felt was their own. For many kids in the South Bay cities of Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, and El Segundo in Southern California, that arcade was Castle Park in Redondo Beach. Castle Park was built in the mid-70s. It consisted of two 18-hole miniature golf courses separated by an Arthurian castle that housed the ticket booth, party rooms, a snack bar, bathrooms, and a huge arcade. It was situated, unfortunately in some cases, a golf ball's throw from the 405 freeway in an industrial area right near a set of railroad tracks. The first time I went to Castle Park was in 1979. It was just after I played AYSO soccer for the first time. I recall the correlation because as a player in AYSO in 1978 and 1979, you had to sell these entertainment books, basically coupon books for local businesses for $5 each. My mom opted to buy a couple books because they contained a multitude of Straw Hat Pizza coupons and we ate at Straw Hat Pizza nearly every Friday night. The books easily paid for themselves within a couple of weeks. However, Straw Hat coupons were not the only worthwhile deals in the book. Among the coupons for dry cleaning and shoe repair, stuck far back in the end of the book was a coupon for buy one get one free miniature golf at Castle Park. My mom saved the coupons so we could use them in the dead of summer. And sometime around July or August, my brother and I found ourselves walking through the faux wooden door entrance to the medieval fortress-shaped arcade at Castle Park.
I played a few video games before I arrived that day at Castle Park, mostly at the Old Town Mall in Torrance, but I was not prepared for what Castle Park had in store for us. Clusters of video game machines in the center of the room were surrounded by rows and rows of pinball and skee-ball machines along the wall. I'd never seen so many different coin-operated machines in one place, and I was compelled to try them. However, our mom insisted we use the miniature golf coupons first, and quickly ushered us out through the gauntlet of games, past the snack bar, and out to the other side to the golf kiosk. However, her moves were not quick enough to prevent the indelible image of the Castle Park Arcade imprinting on my mind. The blur of our quick exit created an intoxicating mix of sights. Space Invaders, seen here by me for the first time ever. Atari Football, Super Breakout, Lunar Lander, sounds, tokens falling, ski balls rolling, credits popping, space invaders shooting, and even smells. A mix of stale churros, spilled icy, and evaporated sweat that beckoned to me to return. While the miniature golf was enjoyable, it was hard to fully concentrate on putting golf balls into fake houses while visions of all those arcade games swirled in my head. I imagined those machines impatiently waiting for me to feed them one of my few quarters I had in my pocket so they could spring to life and challenge me to the contest held within their digital circuits. When we finally finished our golf game, I literally ran back to the arcade, sprinting towards the Space Invaders machine that waited close to the back of the entrance. I popped my quarter in, and 30 seconds later the machine had the best of me. Jeff tried as well, with similar results. Space Invaders never became a favorite of mine, but it was still the first game I ever played that I was literally thrilled to spend my money on. After Space Invaders, I played Lunar Lander with similar results, and then a round of skee-ball. After our mom treated us to cherry ices at the snack bar, we started to leave, but not before I used my final quarter on the super breakout machine near the entrance. This was the game for me that day, as I managed to play for about five minutes and rack up my best score ever before exiting back into the sunlight and going home. At that moment, Castle Park represented pure childhood joy to my brother and I. While we returned to Castle Park hundreds of more times over the next 10 years, this first visit left such an impression that I can almost totally recall it today. Over the next few years, Castle Park grew in popularity, and by 1981, it was the local spot for video game players in the South Bay. Ex-employee Terence Poblum described the golden age of the arcades at Castle Park this way. I worked evenings and weekends primarily. Friday and Saturday nights were noisy and chaotic. The supervisor was known to crank up the rock music on the sound system, which had a shouting to be heard by the customers. The place was always packed. Patrons lined up at the machines to test their skill at the latest games. Like every good arcade, Castle Park changed their mix of games often, and always kept them up to date with the best offerings from Atari, Midway, Sega, Williams, etc. My routine was to play a round of my favorites once each, then return to play the games I was hot on that particular day. These games included Asteroid, Star Castle, Pleiades, Galaxian, Swimmer, Fire Truck, Pole Position, Black Knight, Pinball, and my all-time favorite Castle Park trio, Galaga, 
Bosconian, and Time Pilot. Not only did they add new games, but the park itself expanded, and by 1982, they built a water park on the premises, complete with a boat ride and a set of skin-removing concrete water slides. At that same time, Castle Park became a hangout for some honest-to-goodness classic video game heroes. Mattel Electronics was located just down the street from Castle Park. The Blue Sky Rangers, programmers and designers of nearly all the classic Intellivision games, plus many Atari 2600 games, frequented the establishment on a regular basis. In 2004, they had a reunion at the arcade, and you can read about it on their website. But here's a quote from it. The site of the event, Castle Park, was familiar to the Blue Sky Rangers. Mattel Electronics hosted a party for the programmers there in 1983. And for their 10th reunion, the Blue Sky Rangers stopped in the arcade for a couple hours of play before having dinner at a nearby restaurant. That nearby restaurant, by the way, was Luigi's in Hawthorne, which is now gone as well. The summer of 1983 brought the crash of the video game market straight to Castle Park. That summer, crowds were sparse, so they created an eight tokens for a dollar promotion during the weekdays. This meant that just a couple of dollars and the skills we had built over the previous years could be used to stay in Castle Park for nearly two hours without needing any extra cash. This was great for us, but obviously not a boon for the owners of the establishment. However, even though the games industry was having trouble, some of the best games of the era were still arriving for us to play. That year, we blasted the desktop into a billion vector lines in the Star Wars arcade game and watched others maneuver Dirk the Daring through the Don Bluth animated halls of Dragon's Lair, much to their frustration and our delight. However, by the end of that year, the lure of any arcade was wearing thin. That Christmas, Jeff and I got our first Atari 800, and my love for gaming took a sudden turn into a love of exploration of that machine and programming. By 1984, I discovered my favorite rock band, The Alarm, and entered high school, where my interest expanded further to girls, running cross-country, and computer science. While we still visited Castle Park from time to time, its importance as the mecca for our entertainment was severely diminished. Post-video game crash, Castle Park struggled to survive. It was not a coincidence that we stopped going to the park. An entire generation of kids had grown up and out of arcades at nearly the same time, and it left places like Castle Park wondering what to do next. For Castle Park, it was an expansion into other areas. They added batting cages, and they redid and ultimately tore down the water slides. Curiously, it also acted as a filming location. Castle Park got us 15 minutes of fame as a location for an episode of the TV show Chips. This was during the sixth and final season of The Cop Show, in which the tailored uniform-wearing, skydiving, jet-skiing, and hang-gliding highway patrol officers spent their time chasing UFOs, playing with robots, and fighting off Devil Take Me with Donnie Most, and in an unlikely turn, going undercover at a high school to find a ring of car thieves who liked to play arcade games. Kelso Park was used as the location for this episode, as was the closed-down Aviation High School just around the corner in Redondo Beach. Still, even this kind of exposure was not enough to save the place. Not too long after, it was sold to Malibu Grand Prix and became Malibu Castle.
In the summer of 1988, after high school graduation, some friends and I returned to Castle Park for one last visit before going to college. I can't recall the exact reason for the visit, but I do recall that our plans were not simply to have a good time. To be honest, we just wanted to be assholes, which was not exactly in character for our geek squad. We snuck in booze, some of us anyway, acted rowdy in the arcade, and played a round of miniature golf backwards while breaking through light bulbs and chipping away at the concrete walls with our golf clubs. We pushed our way through people, yelled at each other, and basically acted like numbskulls. At about hole number six, we were surrounded by security guards and calmly escorted out of the establishment. I suppose the whole idea was to rebel and get caught, and at the time it seemed really cool. But soon after, it just seemed like a hollow attempt for some relatively good kids to be bad for no particular reason. It's hard for me to remember that night these days without cringing when I think about the little kids and families that might have been there. The ones who maybe had their first wondrous experience at Castle Park ruined by some teenage idiots looking for a lame way to stamp their end of innocence on their hometown before leaving for college. I guess this night of rebellion was my way to shed my childhood on the verge of becoming an adult. Whatever, it was still pretty lame, and I knew right away the park was already having a tough time as it was, and it gained a reputation as a gang hangout and was struggling to survive. I basically crap-bagged one of the few remaining landmarks that meant something to me. A2, Steve? Yeah, me too. I was so embarrassed that I vowed to never return to Castle Park, and I mostly kept that promise for the better part of the next decade. When I did return, it was in the mid-1990s, and it was with my wife for a few games of pinball. I did not spend any serious time or money there until about 2001, a few years after Jeff and I started working at Mattel Toys. We were trying, successfully by the way, to build our web group into an online game development team. We tried to come up with ways to get our team to think about games and retro games in particular and the inspiration for games for our websites. We brought in classic game developers for seminars and held game making contests and we also took our team on field trips. We got free tickets to E3 for everyone and we went to The Price is Right with Bob Barker and for a short time we took weekly trips to the batting cages at Castle Park. In a way, I suppose we're trying to recapture some of the classic feeling our Mattel brethren and the Blue Sky Rangers had cultivated 20 years prior. It worked, for a few months anyway. To be honest, the arcade games at Castle Park were simply too different from the stuff we were trying to create at Mattel at the time. There was no one-to-one -one comparison of video games like there was back in 1981. The arcade was filled with gun games and redemption machines, which were both far away from what we could accomplish online at the time. What might have worked in the golden age of the arcade did not translate well in the 21st century. Sadly, we stopped going and never returned as a group. The next year, I tried once again to recapture the magic of my youth at Castle Park. In 2002, Jeff and I took my four-year-old daughter there one lazy Sunday afternoon. So much time had passed since the high school incident that I had pretty much stuffed it in the back of my mind. My desire was not to make amends for that night, but to recapture some of the magic I felt for the place and have my kids find joy there as well. At first, it seemed to be working. We had a pretty good time playing miniature golf, even though we had to overlook the decaying condition of the course. Afterwards, we ate stale pretzels and mostly ice ices at the snack bar, and my daughter was all smiles. For a moment, I felt like a successful father who was dutifully transferring his own experiences down to his children. However, it didn't last very long. Castle Park had one last indignity for me, just like I had for it back in 1988. 
When we got to the arcade, our luck changed. Most of the machines were not working correctly, and we lost a bunch of tokens, which made my daughter very sad. And when I took her to play skee-ball, she hit her hand on some exposed metal at the front of the machine while throwing her first ball and started wailing in pain from a large cut on her finger. We left right away, her Uncle Jeff carrying her to the car as I silently cussed myself out for being so stupid. She would never hold Castle Park as important the way I did as a kid. How could she? In reality, it was now a dump, and we should never have gone there in the first place. Soon after, in 2002, the snack bar at Castle Park was closed down by the health department. It was then sold to a chain named Boomers that promised to revitalize the location. That never happened. In 2006, it was sold again, then closed. The fake castle that had stood next to the 405 freeway for 30 years was demolished, along with one of the miniature golf courses, parking lot, and nearly everything else. Soon, promising new signs went up that said, new look coming soon. And then plans for several pirate and beach themed flat rides and attractions were posted on the fence along Marine Avenue. I stopped there with my kids and showed them what was coming, which made myself and them very excited. However, a few months later, those plans were removed and nothing has been there since. The remaining miniature golf course was brutally ransacked and vandalized in the ensuing months. And the whole location resembled a Scooby-Doo abandoned amusement park for many, many years. Even from the air, it looked like a disaster area. For all intents and purposes, Castle Park was no more. One of the last times I drove by, a group of skateboarders were trying to find a way in so they could film themselves doing stunts in the empty pools and on the broken rails of the remaining miniature golf course. They were having trouble finding a pathway through the barbed wire to the lot beyond. I did not stick around long enough to find out if their quest was successful, but it made me happy to imagine that somehow they made their way into the park so they could ride around and make their film. Even though they would not be enjoying the place the way it was originally intended, someone would be having fun there again. It would be in a different form, but the hoops and hollers of pure childhood joy would reign once again at Castle Park, at least for one afternoon anyway. In 2020, the site is now occupied by a set of three low to mid-range hotels catering to Raytheon and Boeing business travelers by week and budget travelers looking for quick freeway access to Disneyland and Universal Studios on the weekend, each of those 45 minutes away in opposite directions. There is no sign that a once mighty entertainment complex containing a castle, arcade, water slide, batting cages, or miniature golf ever existed at that site. Anyone who stays there now is only thinking of what ways and how quickly they can leave to get to the things they really want to do in Los Angeles. But when I look at those hotels, I can only think of how much I wanted to be exactly there when I was a kid, in that exact space. It was my place. And like most of my places from when I was a kid, it now lives in a well-worn space where the smell of churros and Pepsi fill the air and the sound of Frogger and Space Invaders fill my ears, directly inside the vertical blank. track songs used in the Ode to Castle Park story are from Tony Longworth's Primal Serenity album. The songs are Ostera and Light of Day. The album is available now at Bandcamp. 
can see a link in the show notes. Hey, Jeff, what did you think, think of the story? That was a fantastic story, Steve. Yeah, I mean, the music, that music, by the way, is Tony Longworth's um, songs. Just amazing. I talked to him. He let me use them. He let me use them as a soundtrack to a story, which I've never done before, but I just love them. Yeah, I love so, that song. Okay. So, you know, not only was Castle Park our favorite place, but we alluded to this in the story that they filmed an episode of Chips there. And Chips, for people who don't know, was a TV show, I think on CBS from 1977 to 1983. And it was about the California Highway Patrol. And it was, it was, it was sort of tongue, it wasn't tongue in cheek, but it was also like, like not hardcore cops or anything like that. It was kind of a fun it cop was show. Tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there were funny parts, but I mean... They, I, don't, they, yeah, I don't know what the popularity was of it around the country. Here's what I'll say. You know what Chips was? It was an excuse to crash cars on the freeway, is what it was. And it was also like, it, it also became an excuse for them to go to the beach and show women in bikinis, yeah. too. So for five seasons, at least, I think f- at least five, at least f- at least four, if not, you know, most of five, it was two Chips, Frank Pontarella, played by Eric Estrada, who actually have another story about that. I'm not even sure when I can publish that one. And, and I know the story. And John Baker, who is Larry Wilcox. Larry Wilcox actually, you know, left before uh, the episode that we're going to talk about here. But this episode is in the sixth season, episode 13, called High Times. But that doesn't describe the episode at all. I think, of, I think originally <laughs> they must have, did, like, picked out the episode names before they wrote the episodes i think so too anyway there's nothing um, high times about this this oh high school wait high school maybe high school yeah just but it sounds like high school and drugs or something but it does but it's so so this episode was filmed in half of it was filmed in our kind of in our neighborhood and it was really close to where i live now like maybe a mile from where i live now and not even that far um so we were really surprised to see it when we were kids and it was pretty awesome so let's get to that uh, recap right now because it's pretty long. Please note this recap is very long, more than an hour, actually longer than the show itself. So it may help if you go watch episode 13 of season six of Chips Yourself. Sorry, it's not free right now. You'll have to buy it on Amazon Prime or Apple, but it may be worth watching before you listen to this. So this is an episode of Chips, which I think when we were kids, this was one of our favorite shows. I can't figure out why. I think it's it's that same sort of Generation X. We loved it and we hated it at the same time. Kind of irony. I don't think so. Well, okay. Well, maybe. I lo- we love motorcycles and stuff like that. We were always like, we loved police and fire from watching Adam 12. And we, we didn't get the, we actually, even then we got the subtle uh, or unsubtle humor of them being CHP, but doing everything except riding on the freeway. <laughs> yes, exactly. Even then we knew it. So this is, so this episode, I, you know, stands out because it was actually filmed in our neighborhood. Right. Some and, of it. Some of it, of it. right. Well, I, I, I pretty much figured out all the scenes. Me, me too. <laughs> um, so Chips is a, for those who don't know, is a TV show um, started, I think, in 77, right after Star Wars came out, like the fall after Star Wars came out. And it was about two highway patrolmen, Frank Poncherello, played by the one and only Eric Estrada, and John Baker, played by Larry Wilcox. And I think for... 
five seasons that's how it was although the beginning of season five it was bruce jenner caitlin jenner now played a cop for a little while until john came back and then in season six they replaced john with a guy named tom riley and this is pretty much his only role he ever had you know he did a couple of little things so was john's I, I guess you're right and he was and i guess if you think eric Estrada, this is his big thing although he was in some soap operas afterwards some mexican novellas but Got some Taco Bell commercials. They also added Bruce Penhall. Do you have a license for that taco, Steve? Sorry, go on. What are you talking about, Jeff? I said, do you have a license for that taco? Oh, you mean, is that Eric Estrada? Yes. Anyway, go on. Go on. (laughs) Okay, so Bobby Hot Dog Nelson was added. And he, Tom Rather, he's just a a new uh, recruit that, that Paunch has to train. And there's no real word of why John left in season six, which is also the last season. And then they also added Bruce Penhall who was a famous sort of motocross rider. And, and they added him as like a blue-shirted, I guess, guy in the in the CHIPS training program, whatever you call the the academy. Yeah, he must have been academy. Must have been academy. Um, He's the brother of... Of Bobby Hot Dog Nelson. Right. It's Bobby and Bruce and their brothers. Also, the cast was Paul Link as Grossman. He was there the entire time. Robert Pine as Gratrier was kind of brought a little bit of you know, gravitas to it. You know, his son is Chris Pine. I mean, Robert s- Pine was a Shakespearean actor on, and he was a Broadway actor. Right. And then he came on Chips. It did give it some gravitas. But his son, uh, Chris Pine, is, the, is you know, um, stars in the Star Trek movies and stuff. And he's sort of a, you know, a big actor now. Paul Link, he was in the movie Parenthood after this, a few yes, years was. later. Yes, he was. And he had a, he did a one man show I think about his wife having cancer and dying too, which is oh, which you should look look up. And then there's also Lou Wagner as Harlan, who I think was there the whole time. Harlan is a weird oddity because he's kind of like a nerd mechanic, and he's also about four, just over, just under five feet tall, so he's a tiny guy. And they made fun of him the whole time on the show. The but funny he, was they didn't have a way to make fun of computer nerds at the time. So here's a dude who's an incredible mechanic on motorcycles and cars, and he's a nerd. I, it, it's kind of a weird role. It doesn't, <laughs> weird. it doesn't make a lot of sense. They put him in a white coat. That meant nerd. Yes. This is almost Homer Simpson-level writing at the moment. Yeah, the it's like, okay, so this is the sixth season, and this season is the last season, and it's filled with bizarre episodes. There's a UFO episode. There's an episode with Donnie Most about like a like a satanic heavy metal singer, which is just awesome. I think they were just cleaning out the spec scripts that were sent to them. Probably. So this episode also stars, well, Danny Bonaducci is in it from the Partridge family. He plays a bit player the whole time. He's like a he's like an extra character at the high school. On this Um, episode though, but in a later episode, he's like a bad he's like a badass. There's a couple he's in four or five episodes of Chips, by the way. I mean this season, like the he they used like he started out as like a comic foil and then later on as like a badass. So Yeah. But not it was interesting. Also in this episode is Jim Brown, the football player, as playing Casey the ex con. John Colleri as Matt. He was in Square Pigs. He was like starting. Oh, yeah, Matt was in Square Pigs. Correct. And then the big one that I didn't understand, I, Sue Snyder plays Melanie. I saw her right away. I know where she's from. And she I, was I, Deb from Weird Science. Yes, I didn't even need to look it up. I'm all, that's she's from Weird Science when I was watching yes. it. So, so yeah. okay, so let's start the episode. Okay, the episode starts. Okay, so the title starts is season six. They show Paunch riding in a catamaran, three-wheeled ATV, a jet ski, and doing some karate, right? So, so basically, like, basically, he's a, it's a commercial. Stop it. <laughs> Sorry, go 
I mean, then, you're an 80s commercial, right? I'm not. I'm cutting that out. Okay. okay. Well, sorry. So so then um, then Bobby Nelson comes on. Here after, in my recap, he's known as Not John. He does something with a rope on a boat, and then he's he's riding a dirt bike. He hang glides, plays awful volleyball in a banana hammock bathing suit that no one would wear at the time. Then he scuba dives and he skydives, and then the episode starts. So it's the same opening, which is which is actually a, a pretty good opening sequence they had the whole time. It kind of shows the chips' equipment, you know, their the stuff that they have in their bikes, and then shows all the stuff they do when they're not chips, like all these activities. So opening. Freeway bathed in sunlight, and then the title "High Times" comes on, which which actually doesn't have a lot to do with this no, episode doesn't. at all. It doesn't at all. I... Then it says guest star Jim Brown starts out. Ponch and Not John are going about fifteen miles an hour on the freeway. Not John complains that things are boring. Ponch must now be the wise old man. He tells him to stop and smell the roses, and all of a sudden I'm like foreshadowing because they telegraph everything in the show right right but also they're talking while riding on the five freeway impossible in the middle of traffic on two motorcycles there's no way there's no way okay (laughs) so minute 226 we see two teenager types walking through a parking lot they're casing cars and they see a cool ford mustang and they boost it they're also obviously there's a smart kid involved because they know how to turn off the alarm Ponch and not John are driving by and they hear the alarm and they put on a chase. Can I tell you the, so I had a quote from that. Oh, uh-huh, good. Okay. I don't know if you're going to say it or not, but I don't know. when they see the cops, they say space invade, the nerd kid who, who knows how to undo the alarm says space invaders at three o'clock when he no, sees I, the cops. I miss that. I and totally then when that. he, and then all of a sudden he's jetting in the car and he drops his tokens and he yells, my tokens. And then that's like a big, like, oh my God, what kind of tokens are those? So anyway. it is the nerd kid that drops the tokens, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Not the, so well, I forget, he's, he's the guy with the gambling problem. Yeah. So that's Benny. Benny, Benny the nerd played by Andrew J. Letterer, who actually probably out of all the people in this episode had had an actual career. He's a comedian and he had a column on Huffington Post for a while. Wow. He has an active Twitter account too. Okay, so they chase. They chase through a parking lot, onto the street, through a neighborhood, down a back alley, and then an old-timey red truck with a mattress in the back comes <laughs> comes into view, and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a chip. Park, right? <laughs> because, yeah, it's usually anytime, what would happen with, what would happen in chips, usually, is there'd be a sea of new cars on the freeway, or relatively new cars. Then you'd see a hunk of junk. And you knew <laughs> that that hunk of junk was going to be involved in some sort of crash. And that's exactly. why we liked it. Anyway. So, okay, the old-timey truck with the mattress tips over. All sorts of household crap falls on the street. Then not John wipes out, laying his bike down, but does not hit the red pickup truck. Pot stops, too. Not John reaches over, pulls a vase, a vase out with a rose inside, and and then smells it, and that's the telegraphed smell the roses that that oh yes we telegraphed yes. it okay, and then the guys get away because because there was that chips crash the 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 old timey truck obviously goes up the side of the sedan just like they always do with the hidden ramp on one side and tips over it's a classic classic chips crash so so back at central there's lots of stock footage in this episode, and there's a stock aerial footage that I think they must have shown a hundred times with a bunch of cop motorcycles leaving in unison. Interesting thing though. So now that would be done with a drone. Then it was either a helicopter or a crane. Incredibly expensive shot. That's why it was stock. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we're back at Chip Central and Sergeant Cotrera, which is Robert Pine, is telling Ponch and not John that there's been an uptick in muscle car thefts. And they almost caught them. Apparently, the captain is mad. Why hasn't his highway patrol done the proper undercover work to find this ring of car thieves? I remember, they're highway patrol. <laughs> I don't know. That's not what they do. <laughs> At least I don't think that's what they do. Right? I don't think so. Not unless they... So, highway patrol, they're, they're kind of like the state police <coughs> in other... Uh, we don't have a state investigative bureau that I know about, like Georgia does and other some states do. The highway patrol is state police of California. All they do is patrol state, state highways. They have no jurisdiction anywhere else. Okay, but in this episode, they got jurisdiction all over the place, right? I guess so, because they're... go Anyway, yeah. I so guess next so. up, Gutrer and Not John and Ponch make a bunch of manly sports analogies about catching car thieves. I didn't write any of them down, but it's very, um, sport, okay. it was very a, sports ball. Yeah, it was, it was um, basically the captain doesn't like basketball he likes football and none of the analogies that paunch said worked because no. okay so then a bunch of big players show up bruce penhall paul link who is who's Gutrer, and then the lady no, no, chippy. No, paul, oh yeah paul, paul link paul say paul link who's grossman and then the lady chippy officer katie linehan played by tina gale shows up so of course there's only ever one lady chip in the entire show, there can only ever be room for one. So it used to be Bonnie. And then I think it changed this time. I think so, this is her only season that yeah. this one is in it. I, I don't know what happened to this. Obviously, she, she obviously was a they, Janet to Bonnie's Chrissy. Yeah. They're making fun of Harlan because a woman named Roxanne apparently is a secret admirer. And it, it doesn't really make any sense. Makes no sense. So Harlan shows up in a lab coat again, and we're like, "Is he a scientist? Is he a nerd?" Like, but he's a he's got a lab coat, but he he fixes the cars in the garage. So he and the motorcycles. He tunes them there, up. Isn't there a robot this season too? There has to be a robot. There this might season. be. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this this they're they're mining anything they could. So okay. Grossman, then big big turn of events right here. Grossman stops Ponch and not John in the halls at the station. So he could move the plot along with a plot moving device. <laughs> this is what he does. So Grossman was always a plot device. Yeah, he was always a, in the punk rock episode. He's the one that taught them about like slam dancing and, and stuff. And now he teaches them something else. So he teaches them about video games. So, so Grossman shows Ponch and not John the thing that fell out of Benny's pockets, which was tokens. But he says it looks like money. And he says they were found where the car was stolen. And I, I just why is Grossman violating the chain of evidence here by pulling? Yeah, I have no out? idea. It's, it's in his pocket now. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, all three idiots now riff on what the tokens might be. They talk about trolley tokens and the subway, and and then Grossman says, "No, video arcades." Right. He, so yeah. here's a big question: Who is this show for? Because you know, is it for adults who are going to enjoy seeing Bobby in his banana hammock in the previews? Because no kids are going to care about that. Or is it for kids? Because that's really who this show is for, who know what video games are. Yeah. So there are lots of shows back. They're written by older people in Hollywood, but they were written for no one in particular. And this is a really good example of one where like, you no know, kids are watching this and they know what this is. And you're turning video games for huge kids into kind of the bad thing in this episode. But also, is, I mean, it could have been genius. I don't know if it was or it wasn't because they're showing that you're a kid and you know this stuff and you, you basically identify with Grossman. 
who's explaining it to them. Now, I don't know sure. if they thought that well. They probably did. Like, at least one writer thought that. But yeah, as a child in this, you're identifying with Grossman. Because exactly. these other two dudes are like, they're not real. They're basically cartoon characters. Like yes. Ponch and, and not John are cartoon characters. Yeah, so Grossman says he checked the design on the token with the company who makes them. So that's that's some pretty good detective it work. It is. And they said it's used by the Castle Arcade in Sherman Oaks. Right. You know, And I say Grossman's obviously a master investigator. Why was he not the star of the show? Like, yeah, why isn't he out doing yeah. stuff? <laughs> then not John, like a jock dick, grabs the token out of Grossman's hand and says, thanks. Grossman instead of all, not takes like, all the glory. Yeah, not thanks for all the hard investigative work you just did to solve the case. Yeah, he basically solved the case. Anyway, not John and Ponch take all the glory. They steal the token, and but since Grossman's an '80s nerd and nerds suck, Grossman right. thinks those silly jocks. It's obvious they should win because I'm played as an overweight joke, and they have tailored uniforms on the CHP salary. Anyway, sorry, I said exactly. So, you know, then Grossman becomes a bit player in the rest of the episode, even though he just solved the entire case. Next up the greatest scene in television history <laughs> a place that we a parking lot that we've been into so, hundreds of times before this we saw it right. on tv so all of a sudden it's not the sherman oaks castle park it's the redondo beach castle park well and they say these are say, from the the arcade castle arcade in sherman oaks but it's not it is the not. castle arcade in redondo beach yeah so the the first shot is a scene i must have seen a thousand times it's it's the castle with the miniature golf course and just in the back you can see the water slides which were not quite class action park water slides but pretty close is that on hbo max yeah so can recognize the parking lot anywhere so they park their bikes in the exact same spot mom used to park to pick us up which yes. i thought was awesome right? which i think was actually a um i think it's like a, a handicapped spot no not that one it's oh, not okay. a handicapped spot but thanks for ruining my recollection. So they, they park exactly where mom would park. I can see her Dotson 710 station wagon there right now parking to pick us up. Okay, so the next shot, Ponch and Not John are walking through the arcade. All the games are covered up so you can't see the titles because obviously they didn't get clearance for them. Mike Mika on Twitter said maybe it's the first instance of blotting out game marks to avoid getting clearance for broadcast use. Anyway, all the sounds in every video game in the background are Galaga. And it's awesome because it's not Pac it's not twenty six hundred Pac-Man. No, no, it's not, which was like used in almost every other TV show. We would recognize the twenty six hundred Pac-Man sounds. But this is all Galaga. It's in a girl skating, which by the way, skating figures a lot in this episode for yeah, some reason. Uh, it's weird. I I had a bunch of notes about that. Melanie. So she, Melanie, yeah, Melanie from she weird goes by Miss Pac-Man and a row of three centipedes. You can tell because that's what the machines are. And then by their token machines. And I'm like, those are our token machines right there. Yeah. Okay, hold um, on a second. When they walk in, I have another quote. Not John says, just another average run-of-the-mill space arcade. No, no, but Ponch first says... I think we entered the Twilight Zone. Ah, okay. okay. So, <laughs> and then so, Not John says, says, just another average run-of-the-mill space arcade. Okay, but but it's not a space arcade. It's no, in it's a castle. not a space arcade. It's not a fucking it's a, it's a castle. Yeah, exactly. It's as if... It, this, so they, they found an arcade, but they're like, yeah, the script says space arcade, whatever. You know, we, we don't have to change it. Yeah. You see the shit we had to deal with back then? The media played adults as dumbasses, and in many cases, they were dumbasses about a video game. Melanie so, from Weird Science shows up on skates. Yes. So Chips meets the skating girl, which is actually Melanie. She's the girl from Weird Science. And right in front of a row of Pac-Man machines. Okay. 
So I paused, I paused it here, and I gazed just at the interior of the arcade. We must have seen it a thousand times. All those signs. I think the video fantasy sign was the one thing that they dressed the set with. Yeah. It's like you can see it in a couple different places because what she says is, as soon as Melanie shows up, she's wearing this odd silver jacket, you know, from the 80s and says, Welcome to Castle Arcade. Tokens are 25 cents each or five for a dollar or a roll of 30 for five dollars. With a roll, you get a free video fantasy button. It will look great next to your badges. <laughs> Bullshit. Did the writers do any research back no. then? This None of those things actually occurred. It was eight <laughs> tokens for a dollar. And There's I no just don't want to disparage our local arcade because there were no video <laughs> fantasy buttons. Although those would sell for a lot now. Yeah, that would be cool. Anyway, uh, Ponch and Not John tell Melanie they're looking for two guys that must have lost this. And Melanie says, do you know how many guys come in here? Thousands. I don't think there were thousands that went in there, but... But there. Thanks a lot, Grossman. Your lead went nowhere, you nerd. Oh, yeah, exactly. Melanie continues, we're only a block away from the prep school, Parkdale High. I'd go there myself. So the prep school's actually Aviation High, and it was only a a half mile from the arcade. It was was about three blocks. So the next scene is the exterior of Parkdale High. And Parkdale High is actually Aviation High School, which was either shut down. I think it was shut down that year. shut down at that point, and it was really run down. Yeah. So I recognize the brick buildings anywhere. Actually, the brick structures were the exact same type that all the other schools in our area area had. I even recognize there's like a planter that looks just like the planter at our junior high. You just sit down and read. So you know that there's still... If you go over there right now, there still is the gym and a little bit of that. And I, I recognized it all. It's right where the track is. But the track's closed, been closed for seven months. But it's all like there. Like that, those things are still there. Yes. Yeah, it was not one. It was three blocks away. But obviously, when the location scouts were doing this episode, they're like, hey, there's a closed down school right next to an arcade. Let's right. make an episode about that. Like It's almost like they built this episode out of the available Right, like scenery. Yeah, it was cheap to film in that in that area, I guess, at the time. Right, there was no. Yeah, I mean, this was. I think I did. We did see this episode when we were kids, and I. This was so f-ing exciting. Right. To see our arcade and and the school that we didn't go there. Obviously, we weren't going to go there, but it was it was one of the local schools. That no, and we had really soccer did. practice there, and oh, yes, so we, we recognized that. Um, easily recognized that school. So the next scene, they go to the school. And it there's this is this filler. There's some like roller disco kids. A lot of roller disco. It's like, it's a great multi ethnic group of roller disco actors that are in this episode, and they're like roller discoing around, and it just goes on for a really long time. Yeah, my comment was there are so many people on skates at this school. <laughs> like what? No, I want I want to go out and say this is not realistic. <laughs> No. <laughs> First of all, you probably couldn't roller skate at school. No. You definitely couldn't ride your skateboard. But but this would never have happened. Anyway, uh, maybe, and they said prep school. There's a thing later where they intimate that maybe this is a private school. It is. That's what I'm saying. It's a private school. So I have comments later on about how Matt would afford this. Yeah, anyway, so um, maybe it's supposed to be like an art school or something. But they don't make, like, like And fame. it's also, yeah. Well, when you see it, it's like such a rundown school. And they didn't do anything to spruce it up to make it into a prep school <laughs> no no in fact it's even worse than that okay yeah so the scene goes on far too long then danny bonaducci shows up uh, with a ghetto blaster and he makes some small talk and he doesn't steve a boom box a boom box i'm sorry he shows up with the boom box <laughs> he makes some small talk and then he just disappears because really he's got nothing to do with this episode at all at minute 958 i see one of those blue pillars from the gym that still exists yes 
unmistakable. Out from behind one of the pillars comes our suspects. One is a cool-looking dude, that's Matt, and the other is a nerd, and we know he's a nerd because he's wearing glasses. <laughs> I bet the nerd is the one who dropped the video game tokens. Fucking nerd. The did. nerd is taking bets, so he's a bookie, or he has a bookie. He's a gambler. Yes. Um, they always told us that video games would lead us to a life of gambling. gambling. And, <laughs> and now we know it in this episode. Maybe he read that article where they said that. Uh, I, think it came, I think the article houses. came from this episode, the other way around. <laughs> so he's got a bookie and he needs money. And we also find out that the cool guy's name is Matt, which we've talked about before. Okay. 1047. The nerd stands in front of a planter that's exactly the same as the planters we had at Foster A. Big Middle School. Yes. This show is such a blast from the past. I, this is why I love why. I mean, obviously, it's really special for us because yeah. we can see things that don't exist anymore. Because all of the schools were built at the same time with the same government bond. Yeah, and now they're <laughs> almost all gone. They've all been torn down. They've all so, been like, torn down. In some ways, you can only see it here. This may be one of the only places you can actually see some of these things. Yeah. And so sitting Especially and watching... Especially the arcade, by the way. Yeah. Sitting and watching it is actually special for us just simply for that reason. I know this is this is a totally self-indulgent... Yeah, well, episode. other people... This is still a good... Sh- still an interesting show about video games, so, it is. you know... Okay, so... Tangentially. Um, Ponch and Not John roll up on their bikes into the school... <laughs> weirdest thing I've ever seen. Is it the same day? Why would Melody same be working day. at the school? Why would we be working at the arcade and not at school? If I, it's the same day. I don't know. It may not be the same day. I mean, okay. it might be, but, you know, I mean, the whole Melanie, Melanie must work on her lunch hour or something like maybe, that, too. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, so they meet Bonaducci and his friend, who I forget his name, but he figures prominently as well. And not John says, which way to the auto shop? And I'm just wondering, why didn't they go to the office and ask this? Like, why are they just rolling through school? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the kids are so rude to the cops. It's like, I guess you didn't worry about getting your ass beat then. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Matt and Benny from behind the blue pillar look really pensive because the cops just showed up. Right. There's a lot of pensive looks in this show. There's a lot of pensive looks. Yeah. Ponch and Not John ride their bikes through the school and arrive at the auto shop. And the auto shop is just... It's just like one of the other classrooms where some set decorator scrawled a sign that said auto shop. <laughs> <laughs> like literally. It looks like it's drawn with marker. The budget <laughs> must have been really super low. And there's I don't want to give it away. There's another example of this later that's amazing. Okay. <laughs> By the way, every kid in this school looks about thirty years old. Yeah, they're all thirty at least. <clears throat> and there's not enough enough of them. There's just a few thirty year olds. It's a it's his private school. Okay. So Potch and not John go in to meet Casey, who's actually Jim Brown. I guess his name was Casey, which is kind of like casing cars. Like they didn't even like it's his. It's like a short story name. Yeah, Casey the car caser. Anyway, Jim Brown is unhappy because Ponch has racially profiled him as the bad guy. It's obvious he is not because Jim Brown is a guy trying to make it as an actor, and there's no way he would have taken a job as a bad guy in an episode of Chips. So you, I already know he's not the bad guy. Right, you already know. Maybe that. he is. So Casey apparently Ponch had busted Casey for a grand theft auto. And he'd just been out of prison, but then Ponch helped him get this job at the school. Apparently. Yeah. He got so, helped him get out of parole and get the job at the school. And then Casey's giving him lip. Right. But some, you know, but but Casey obviously doesn't like cops because why would he? Right? Right. Because Ponch is a cop. Yeah. Okay. And they have to make not it John look like implores, he might be guilty. So Casey doesn't want to help him, but not John says, We've got a job to do, so we'd appreciate if you hear anything to let us know. Casey says, fuck you. No, he says, you can forget that. <laughs> 
Casey ain't no snitch. No, he ain't no snitch. The cops leave. Casey looks pensive. Cool dude and nerd enter the auto shop. Hey, teach, don't let him get you. No way, says Casey. Minute 1403. Not John and Ponch come up with a brilliant plan. They will force Bruce Penhall, the blue <laughs> uniform wearing trainee and brother of not John. They need two blonde dudes in the show, by the way, to replace John. Exactly. To go undercover at the school. The Sarge agrees. It's hmm. on. Now, <laughs> what, not just that. An entire undercover operation is started with a pat on the back and a quote to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, go for it. Right. So minute 1627. And this is be the next day. Bruce Nelson shows up at Parkdale, hot dogging on his motorcycle. So much for kind of low profile. At least they gave Bruce Penhall something to do. He was a champion motocross racer, right? Right, right. He I was. And so they, he, they said, go do some stuff in the parking lot. We're going to film it. So in the background, you can see the TRW building that I yes. saw my entire life right there in the background. Yes, you cool dude, Matt, and the nerd, Benny, see him park his bike. Melanie sees it too, and she's impressed. Bruce has no idea where he is. Melanie happens to be in his homeroom. She walks him there. Bruce's undercover name is Bruce Hickok, which of course is like, I don't know, no one's named Hickok, okay? Yeah, but it's good. But you know what? To, the, the good thing about that was actually, you know, as opposed to fake undercover things, the FBI usually use your first name. Right. As okay. your name. They give you a different last name. That way you always will respond to your first name. Yeah, it makes sense. So they actually did a good job with that. It was pretty well well um, researched for that one point. Nothing else in this episode is. But that so, was. It turns out that Melanie is Matt's girlfriend. Okay? And he doesn't like seeing her with Bruce. Of course not. Now it's a regular episode of 90210. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> now here's the thing that bothered me about this. Here's the first, not just the first thing. It appears in this episode that both Bobby and Bruce are interested in Melanie, who's a high school student. I, I get to that later. I get that later. Okay. I know. She's this not is, even a high school senior. She could be 16. We don't know. We know. But I'll tell you what. This is this is so indicative of 80s, like, predatory like, I, male activity. I do mark Me Too in a bunch of places in this, my notes. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so basically, even, but I think even back then, we were like, what? She's in high school. Like, what are yeah, you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we did. We understood it. <laughs> All right. So Matt, the cool dude, comes up and he says, there are a few things you should learn to Bruce. Number one, I'm number one. And then Matt tries to start a fight with Bruce. The nerd gets excited and starts taking bets. A teacher shows up. It's actually the football coach. He says, you guys want some action? Come out for the girls' soccer team. They'll take you apart. Okay, that was fucking rude. <laughs> that was rude. I, I put Mark that as like, but I mean, he, yeah, exactly. Although I mean, there's only one woman has significant lines in this episode, and it's Melanie. And they do shit on women in this episode the whole All time. over the place. Right. Okay? It is, this is indicative of like these old guys writing this stuff. Right, exactly. Anyway, it turns out he's a football coach. And then and then I think Danny Bonaducci or one of them says, the football team loses games by 30 points, and the nerd gets upset, Benny, because he bets on them. And I said, this is realistic. This is Our real football teams did lose by 30 points back there then. There was a quote where he says, like, why don't you guys come out for the football team? And then Bonaducci says, why don't you start winning sometime? Anyway, that was <laughs> something like that. But we find out later the football coach doesn't have to win me. With no, he doesn't. A whole different thing. Okay, I want to point this out. Aviation was kind of a rough school. Yeah. Back then, we had a friend who went there who said that it was pretty tough. So in our neighborhood, a lot of kids that were just a few blocks away went to that school as their primary high school. Well, the scene is dumb. It's not totally off from the truth. And the other thing about aviation high and about football is that apparently 
aviation is the rival school or one of them. Uh, when Cameron Crowe wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High, he went to Redondo for a year and the rival school was Aviation High School. So the school that gets roughed up in that one when they crash the football star's car and then they blame it on the rival school is Aviation High getting roughed up. No, I, I've heard that. I also heard that he went to school in San Diego. So I don't well, know. And he went to school also in Claremont, too. There's a lot of oh, different okay. stories okay. about where it went, but the, the Redondo one still sticks because there's. Uh, I've read something where he actually said that it was there. But a lot of people oh, have. That's cool. A lot of people say it's like the valley because it's supposed to be in the valley, but it's but apparently it was there. But until. But I tried to get the book, um, Fast Times Original High, it's like 100 bucks, but I would like to find what? that out. It's anyway. 100 bucks to buy the book? Oh, the yeah, book. it's really expensive the actual oh, book. It hasn't been reissued or anything. From the book Jacket of Fast Times at Regiment High by Cameron Crowe. This is a true story. In the fall of 1979 Cameron Crowe at 22 years of age walked into the office of Principal William Gray's office and asked permission to attend classes for the full length of the school year to research a book he was to write of his experiences inside the walls of Regimont High and Redorn Dow Beach, California. This is the day-by-day -day journal of horny and wasted semi-blank adults who don't know a thing about their future. Okay. By the way, there are a million signs around the school for Grease Day and Sock Hop. And they may look stupid, but it's pretty much factual. That's it's, all we did in the 80s with Grease Day. It is pretty factual. <laughs> Lots of grease, a lot of grease hops. Lots of 50s day. In fact, in the story, in one of our old stories from season one, The Weird Family, we actually have a story about us getting dressed up for Grease Day. It's realistic. Okay. This long. I hope my people haven't tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ponch and Not John go visit Ponch's snitch at the car wash. The snitch sees Not John and Ponch and starts running through the parking lot. Oh, by the he way, off. the car wash is supposed to be local. It is actually in the valley. So now they're it's actually Victory in the car valley. Yeah. It's on Victory Boulevard. It's Victory Car Wash. So now yes, it is. they've moved. So half the production was actually done in the valley, and I know which half, and half was done in Redondo Beach. Yeah, so he's, he's easily caught after some slapstick chase that rings zero true. Apparently, they gave the stitch 20 bucks a couple weeks ago for info. <laughs> These guys bucks. are cheap. Yeah, no, yeah. Even exactly. in 1984, 20 bucks was nothing. And he didn't sign a CI contract or anything like that. It's just like, go give him 20 bucks and hope he's going to give you some information. Anyway. Right. So his name is Murph, right? So obviously, I mean, with the name like Murph, he's, he's already suspect. Okay, so as soon as the chips leave, he goes and gets on a phone and he says to the operator, give me Parkdale High. Like as if, as if he didn't know the phone number himself. He just had to telegraph to us that he was calling Parkdale High. And he Parkdale just wanted to call the entire high school? Or yeah, trying he just to calls get... the high school. No, there is so much padding in this episode. Yeah, Lots this... of B-roll shots of cops on bikes, uh, people starting and stopping motorcycles, probably a quarter of the entire running time. The next scene has like three minutes of kids dancing on skates with food stuck to plastered to trays. <laughs> it does. For like three minutes. It goes on forever. So one of the cool things is that in the, the it's a real cafeteria. I it think is. it's a real cafeteria at the school because in the background are these really bitchin' posters of kids doing sports. Oh, yeah, 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 But yeah. They're, they're like in peachy folder style. They're peachy folder figures. style, really cool stuff from back then. Right, exactly. Those, those are awesome. But, but yes, the skating goes on for a long time. I was looking for a eat to learn, learn to eat sign. I didn't see it. <laughs> I didn't see it. So uh, Bonaducci's there, and he smiles. There's a bunch of people skate dancing. And then Bruce buys his lunch, and he sits down with Melanie, and she tells him she's thinking about dropping out of school. And Bruce tries to talk her out of it. 
She says, maybe I'll go into show business. I'm terrific on skates. We never see her on skates, but apparently that's the thing. No, no, do. no. She, she was on skates um, oh, at the arcade. She was, right. Yeah. She says, maybe I'll team up with the partner and we'll work the new wave club. <laughs> What's yeah, that? None of that makes any sense at all. There, <laughs> yes. there are no new wave clubs where you skate. <laughs> not, not a, this is the skating was like, I mean, I think roller skating was, this is like five years too old for but time passes really quickly when you're an old guy writing scripts for yeah. chips, I guess. So then Matt and the nerd arrive just as Bruce and Melanie are talking about how useless Matt is. We find out Matt has no job. We find out Matt's parents were on welfare. We find out that he knows how to show a girl a good time. A light bulb goes off on Encyclopedia around Bruce's head. Now listen to ding, this. Ding, so ding, this ding, is ding. the problem I had with this. This the, the, this, I mean, okay. wait. He says, I mean, hold on. He says, how does he get his money then? And then Melanie says, he has his ways, I guess. Okay, so this is a problem. And of course, I'm trying to find logic in this episode of Chips, which has already proved to be illogical. But one, this is where I noted that it's the ugliest private school ever. (laughs) Two, even though if Matt's parents are on welfare, they can't afford it. And I doubt if they were like, for a guy who doesn't go to class or doesn't try in school, I doubt if he's on like a scholarship. Yeah, and even when he's he boosting there? cars, when he's boosting cars, the money's being spent on Melanie, not on tuition to school. So he shouldn't even be there. Yes, <laughs> I don't understand either. Okay. okay, then high school hijinks start up at minute 24, 26. The roller girl opens her locker and finds a scary mask inside, and she screams. Yeah, that was... Dudes are playing football in a too narrow hallway with a toilet paper roll. Danny Bonaducci catches the roll right in front of a teacher, Idiotic dialogue ensues. Benny the nerd is on the phone talking to his bookie, promising he'll get paid. He ends up yelling and slamming down the phone, which is probably not what you want to say to your bookie. No, no. Not when you're like 14 or supposedly, you know, or whatever Benny is. So here's a question. He's talking on the payphone at school. Did the bookie call him? Why would he call the bookie on on the payphone just to slam it down and say that he didn't have the money? Like, is he, who's calling who here? And why would they call on the payphone at school? Yeah, I I mean they they want to be warriors or something in this. In the, he's not okay. Anyway. So Bruce gets on his bike to leave the school, and Benny and Matt follow him in. The okay, trucks. now I want to say right then you see the TRW building again, like really close up. You also see the exact same cars parked on the street, exactly where they were parked when we arrived in the morning. Which means they just shot the two scenes right after one another. And Benny has a lime green monster truck. Yes, <laughs> he does. No, 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 Matt does. Ben, I'm ben sorry, Matt. I'm sorry. One. Matt has a lime green, but Ben has like a pretty nice, like, like a monster truck that's not lime green. Actually, you know, it's pretty cool. It's like a big Bronco, big four-wheel drive Bronco or something like that. It's pretty good. So, yes. Anyway. So they get on the street. They start chasing Bruce on his motorcycle, and they're both in their cars. And all of a sudden, we're not. We're in the valley somewhere. Yeah, we're in, the, we're in a rural part of the valley, probably down the 101. Luckily, not John and Poncho. supposed to meet Bruce at 2.15 after school. So they're sort of on their way. Here's the thing. So they start like just showing some close-ups of Benny and Matt in their cars. And it's so obvious they got a stunt driver driving the car because the guy in the car that's driving Benny's is wearing like a cap. <laughs> Benny up close has no cap on at all. Like they didn't even try. But I think I think we're watching in HD in these. Eight, I want the HD version. No, let me of ask you. I okay. Let's go back for a second. 
I purchased this on Apple Plus because I couldn't purchase it anywhere else. And it was not an HD. It was just a standard. I, I purchased an HD version of it. But what I got was a, a standard frame version. Is that what you're Oh, you missed. You missed. You probably got more of it because I think the HD version, they just cut the bottom of the top Wait, of the bottom. Where did of the you get out. it in HD just for our um, listeners? A- Amazon Prime. So Amazon Prime, you go there. You cannot purchase that episode anymore. Oh, I could. I had to go to the season and purchase one. Maybe because I did. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't available to me. So I went about on Apple Plus for two ninety nine. That's weird. Watched it. It says on HD. It did look better than a regular TV episode, but it wasn't like HD. But well, anyway, here's the thing. So I'm pretty sure what they do with HD to make it six sixteen by nine is they cut off the top of all the frame. So you may have actually seen more of it than I did. I might have, and also that you know it was filmed in in sixteen millimeters, so you could at least. 2K, I think that's what 16 millimeter is. I, I watched well, a video it, on it this morning. It looks good. It, yeah, looks, it looks good. Yeah, I mean, so what I'm saying is like you probably on a standard 480i TV back in the day, you probably couldn't tell that it wasn't Benny in the car. Right. But right. but now it's really easy to tell that it's a stunt guy driving the car. If anyone would care, right? So Benny and Matt chase Bruce into a field off-road, which makes no sense why Bruce would even turn into this off-road field. It also um, makes no sense why Bruce goes in circles. Well, no, he does. Yeah, and he, he he actually turns back to keep the chase going. Yeah, for some like, reason, he's on a motorcycle. Just go fast somewhere else. No, but this is okay, and the, it's obvious. So they could Bruce Penhall could do these stunts himself, right? Right, because he's the champion motocross rider, and it gave him a chance to ride his motorcycle around for this for this scene. So they they gave him actually something to do, and they didn't have to hire stuntmen to do it. Yeah, uh, Bruce wipes out. And Benny grins. He's going to go in for the kill. But Bruce gets back, back on his bike and starts again. You know, I mean, these guys are going to run him over. Yeah, they're going to run over some dude that they, like, I don't he, even know why they think he's the guy to chase. Like, they just met him this morning. It's just because he doesn't like him. But, like, he, it's like you're going to kill the you're gonna kill the guy who is, like, hanging out with your girlfriend. Like, probably not the best idea. Yeah, like not right away, but maybe this is happening. But there's a whole like lineup of dead bodies that yeah, they're not know. master criminals. But no, okay. So then Paunch and Don John are riding down the freeway. They ride by a sign that says Helget Sports Center, H J E L T E, which I looked it up, and it's actually in Burbank. So they must that must have been back when a lot of Burbank was like rural or over yeah, it's there. just right off the 101. So part of it was yeah, if you go all the way down the 101 in Burbank, it was pretty. It gets to be rural. That's where Eagle Rock is. Oh, yeah. That's where I was working in Glendale is. You go for it. But now it's built up a little bit more. But definitely there's some rural areas there. The L.A. River, the good part of the L.A. River with actual water and trees and stuff runs right through there. Okay. I think that's where they are at the end. But anyway. Okay. So then they go and they see that Bobby's being chased by Matt and Benny in their trucks. So just as Bruce is about to be pinned between the trucks, he turns and rides up a hill and wipes out. Which is a hill he could have made if he had all those skills because it was not that steep. No. Okay, just then, Benny and Matt see the chippies and they take off. Ponch and Hot John both stop to help Bobby and let Benny and Matt go for no apparent for reason. For no apparent reason. Just because if, if they didn't, the show would be over. Yeah, as a plot device. As a plot device, basically. As a, as a, <laughs> so, they, so had they, plot, they had plot armor at that point. So then, obviously, not John and Ponch are psychic because if you think about it, they, have, they should have no clue what's happening here, right? They don't know who Benny and Matt are. They don't know who is in the trucks they don't know anything so but supposedly and this is in no way in reality 
but it's supposedly this is like a couple blocks from the school. So they're driving to the school to meet uh, Bruce Penhall or whatever, Bruce. And that's why they, they see in that parking lot is happening. In reality, that is like 40 miles from where the high school actually is, but that's reality. It's TV, right? Anyway. Right. So I'm just saying, they, but they have no idea what even happened. Like, they only know what the events are. Instead of helping Bruce, they pretend to arrest him because they're like, so the guys won't think he's a cop. But like, why did they do that? That's not a bad idea, but it should have been Bruce that instigated that, not not John, who's Bobby, because yeah. they had no idea what was happening. <laughs> no idea what was going yeah. on. Yeah, I, I, it, it's a good idea. But, it's a good idea. Yeah, they they but made it, it makes zero sense in context about about what actually happened. So, back at Central. Yeah, next up is like a giant Me Too moment. So a super super woodenly acted moment between Bobby and Bruce and Ponch, and it's all about how Bobby always wanted to pretend to arrest Bruce and rough rough him up. It's just it's just terrible. Okay? It's just a waste of time. A padding, the, really. Paunch asks Grossman about Jim Casey's parole officer. Grossman says that he's been a model parolee. So, of course, Grossman's off actually doing the real work. police work. Grossman's doing work, right. <laughs> and then Paunch says, a real choir boy, eh? Snidely, because he's racial profiling Jim Brown again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just then, Roxanne shows up. Hard right. Love this interest. is the Me Too she moment. She walks through the door. She's about six foot two. She's obviously a fashion model. All the guys get excited in a very 80s way as she rolls in. In a very 80s way. Yeah. Just like, then, it, Harlan, like if they could have done the boing, 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 boing sound, they would have. <laughs> exactly. Just then, Harlan walks in. He's been fixing Poncho's motorcycle. He stands on the doorway next to Roseanne just so we can see that she's two feet taller than he is. See, it's funny, Jeff, because Harlan is a nerd, right. and he's short, and who would love a short nerd? I, I don't know. By the way, who did the producers think this show was for? Did they think, this is, this again, like, did they think it was all Bruce's and Bobby's watching this shit? No, <laughs> no they were dirty 12 and 13-year-old boys, who they were insulting right and left. Bruce's and Bobby's were out, like, riding motorcycles and paragliding. They were not watching this show. <laughs> okay, so Roxanne is very excited to see Harlan, and she wants to see where he works. She's played by Catherine Gilmore, who's better known for work in the movie Star 80 that came out the next oh. year. Her acting is really bad <laughs> in this scene. It's terrible. So Harlan starts to walk away, and the entire cast needs to tell him to turn around and go the other direction. Because he keeps on walking away from the garage. Gautrere, Robert Pine, breaks up the fun and tells Paunch another Mustang was stolen, and a woman says she thought two young men were casing out the car. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Right. Exactly. Okay. Minute 3204. Jim Brown, Casey, is working in the auto shop. Paunch and not John show up and accost Jim Brown about the stolen cars. Jim Brown says it would bother him if his students were stealing cars, but not enough to do your dirty work, Poncherello. <laughs> Paunch tells Casey they check with the office and the bills for his supplies have doubled since the car theft started. Okay, they think so this he's is a chopping problem. them up right there in the auto shop. This is a problem. If hold you, on, hold on. Okay. Casey looks pensive. Okay. Okay, so this is a problem. In reality, if you're a teacher or anywhere, and even if you're a teacher and you're associated with known criminals and you're on parole, you're going back to jail. He should care a lot about what is going on. Right. Like he, and he knows he's trying to go straight and narrow. He can't be associated with any criminals. But I don't think he knows what's happening. Well, he, if they think this is happening somewhere near him, he should be very, very concerned. Okay, 3311. We're back to Castle Park again. Gorgeous shot of the exterior of the Castle Park, yes. of the arcade at night. I remember just, it reminded me of going there to play miniature golf with dad. 
I yeah. just loved it. I loved that one. So I could just look, look at that forever. Bobby and Melanie are playing on a cocktail machine. We don't know what game it is, but Galaga sounds are mixed with some other sound. And she just beat him for the third time. I think the machines like you, Bobby says. Well, they should. I feed them enough, Melanie replies. She's a video game nerd girl, one of the first. So there you go. She's one of the first yeah, video game nerd that girls that, well, ever. Yeah, I think that that right there was like, that was for the that was for the 14-year-old boys. Right? But at least they gave her some agency. Like, she is good at the games. Good at the games. She actually had a thought in her head that wasn't about men. Right. It was about, like, I think I'm going to quit school and get a job. Yeah. I mean, it was a stupid idea for a job, by the way. Being, okay, being but the... all of this happening, because I know exactly where that, that cocktail machine is, is right in front of the snack bar. Yeah. Behind them are the skee-ball machines oh, that are yeah. in the story that we just heard. That little skee-ball machine is the one where my daughter hurts her finger the first time we try to play. Oh, <laughs> if you remember when we went there. Those are those, are those skee-ball machines. It was anyway, racial when she was little. Yeah, yeah. We went there in like 2002 or something, and we tried to play, but it was all run down. And Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, um, was that was awful. right before it closed. Anyway, Bobby sees Matt and Benny enter the arcade and stop at a Pac-Man machine. So he goes into spy mode. He sneaks around the other side of a bank of machines. I, there's a side of a machine there that I could... I thought it was Bagman, but I couldn't figure out... Oh, what yeah, yeah, yeah with, the, with the guy running. It's, it's not Bagman. It's something else. So it was uh, maybe whoever, machine. if someone can watch this and figure it out, what yeah. it is. He goes around the other side of the machines, and he listens to the conversation. Benny distraught about his loan shark. They're not playing games, Matt. If I don't give them money, they're going to bust them up. So, like, obviously, this is Benny getting mad at Matt for playing a video game by saying they're not playing games. Like, it makes no sense because Benny's the guy with the tokens. Right. He's the guy who goes to the arcade. But it was just bad. It was just poor writing at that point. Matt says they'll have the money after that last car they chopped. Benny says he needs it now. So Benny says, let's go to the Tiki Club on Sepulveda. They always have a muscle car or two in the parking lot. But Matt smartly says, let's not push our luck. Then Benny leaves with the intention to steal a car, obviously. And Bruce knows it, and he knows where it will happen. So I'm, I'm wondering how, how uh, Matt is going to keep his lavish lifestyle if he doesn't keep boosting cars. Well, I think, uh, you know, think about this. Um, Melanie's working there. I think what Matt actually was planning to meet up with Melanie. Right. Okay. Okay. That, yeah, does that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So now the chips know, this is minute 34, 33, they know to stake out the Tiki Club. And the next <laughs> sequence is amazing. The Tiki, <laughs> Club, the Tiki Club is so obviously just the office at Aviation High School. With, yes, it, is. it does say Tiki Club on it, though. With, with, with some, some letters they cut out with like construction right. paper or something. With construction right? paper, exactly. It's but, so obviously uh, the same buildings that they just... They didn't even try to make the tea, to come to a tiki club. It's just the office with the same sort of cutout, you know, like construction paper set decorating they did for the auto shop, but even worse. Well, and there's a there's a great quote over the um before they get there. There's a great quote over the air that is possible GTA at Tiki Club on Sepulveda. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, That's exactly. Awesome. Okay, so Benny's out casing cars in the parking lot. He hot wires a car. What kind of car is it, Steve? I don't know. What was it's it? an El Camino. Was it El Camino? He it hot like wires or- it El Camino. Was it an orange El Camino? Uh, I don't. Whatever car it is, I forget the color. Okay. So there's also a sign above the Tiki Club, hand drawn still, like a, like a big banner that says Tiki Club, 
tenth anniversary fireworks display. Yes. All right. Yes. But that's not that's <laughs> that's not foreshadowing anything. That's no. not like the smelling the rose foreshadowing at all, right? Okay, so Benny hotwires the car, the chips chase him through the parking lot, and just then the truck with the fireworks shows up at the wrong place at the wrong time. Benny hits the truck, and somehow, out of the blue, a tiki torch comes out of nowhere, and knocks right into the fireworks truck, and lights the fireworks. Right, and there's an awesome fireworks show. Right. Okay, and then Podge runs over to help Benny and the truck driver, and literally says the most '80s line <laughs> of the entire show: "Come on, let's get out of here. It's gonna blow." <laughs> How does he know that? It's a fireworks truck. It was, yeah, it was. How does he know when it's gonna blow or not? Anyway, it was pretty cool. It was a pretty good stunt. I mean, it was for uh, for kids at the time. That would have been a great. That was a great as, stunt to watch. As chips go, it was a great crash and and fireworks going and fireworks off. And it was awesome, right? Then Benny says, "It looks like the Fourth of July," and Ponch says, "No, the Fourth of July celebrates freedom. You're under arrest." <laughs> <laughs> This is terrible. Okay. Thir- minute 3626 in the auto shop. The guys are chopping the car. Matt is there. Murph from the car wash is there too, the $20 informant. They're all w- wondering where Benny is. Casey is wearing a welding mask and gets the engine detached. He lifts his mask to smile and reveals, it's not Casey. Jim Brown is innocent. Fucking cops were profiling the whole time. Yeah. It's the football coach. Da da. Oh, he well, he says, "Great job, coach." And then, it, and then, da da da. But they don't make that noise. But anyway, <laughs> we do. No, the scene is so poorly filmed that the the reveal of the coach is so you don't even like. I, it, it should have been a, this big reveal that it's not Casey, but it's the coach instead. But like, you're just like, I don't even recognize the guy under the mask. You just have to like, oh yeah, it's the coach. It's the book coach. Okay, next day, exterior of the school. A bunch of kids skateboarding. There's no skaters at all. It's just kids skateboarding by. I think it was probably done at a different time. Uh, like, okay, kids wearing 50s garb because it's Grease Sock Hop Day. Then a bunch of dance skaters are going through the school wearing 50s outfits. Teachers look on as skaters dance to a 50s song, and they look overly concerned. Like, really concerned? <laughs> what are they concerned yeah. about? <laughs> it's 50s day. Yeah. Then Danny Bonaduce shows up dancing as well. He's got huge pit stains on his pink dress shirt. I noticed that. <laughs> Maybe that's from the HD version. Matt is at his locker. Okay. Okay. Right. Matt this is, looks this is an amazing... older than the coach. Yeah. Okay. So Matt's at his locker. Could this is you could only get this if you were watching it with the captions on. So a girl shows up who's not Melanie, skates up and says, I dig your pants, Daddy O. Oh, and Matt replies with this. It's the cat inside, kitten. <laughs> How did that get through the censors? I didn't know how I missed that. I'm wondering if some of these scenes were actually edited out of the television version, but were just sort of like they added them back in. They just well, yeah, they just had a different version because that's like <laughs> that's pretty. First of all, it makes no sense, but at the same time, it's like it's like I can't believe they even said that. Anyway, okay. Just then, the football coach comes by, and Matt tells him that Benny got picked up last night. Then they all think that Bruce is the one tipping off the cops. He says, ever since he showed up, things have been going wrong. They decide to confront him today. By the way, Bruce showed up literally the day before. Okay, and yeah, I had a thing about that. Okay, this is the thing. So Benny went to the Tiki Lounge the night before by himself, has a gambling problem, someone's following them, and they think it's the new kid? Like, 
Benny should be the one they should be going after. He's the one who jeopardizes their whole operation. Yeah, exactly. By this gambling problem. <laughs> okay, so the next scene, thirty-eight twenty-four. The chips are interrogating Benny in like the briefing room or whatever, or the lunch room. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that this always happens. The chips are always interrogating in the lunch room. Benny admits to having a gambling problem, and he tells them about Murph, the informant. The chips keep digging. Benny admits that the chop shop is at the school, that they pay off the night custodian, and that Coach Hutton is the ringleader. That clears Casey. Ponch now realizing he racially profiled Jim Brown for no goddamn good reason. <laughs> okay, so I have a couple of notes about this whole thing here. One, this is an incredible anti-gambling epiphany he has, but and as this third act starts, I just asked, where's the LAPD the entire time? Like, right. like, basically, it's time to turn this case over to the detectives at the LAPD. This is no longer your case yes. at all. Yes, exactly. If your case is like this. And there's no backup anywhere either. <laughs> well, this is, Betrayer tells not John and Ponce to go over to the school, and he says Grossman will meet them there. So Grossman's their backup. Yeah, man, backup by a real police, like <laughs> the LAPD or something like that. So. Well, Grossman drives a patrol car. Right. <laughs> Okay. Kind of. They're still. They're still. They're still California Highway Patrol. Okay. At, so at minute, a local high school, hassling minute. kids. Boys, boys, boys. It is not as simple as you might think. The California Highway Patrol has some duties that can be classified as being accurate on the television show, even if they do not seem to be at first glance. From the California Highway Patrol Wikipedia page. The California Highway Patrol CHP, is a state law enforcement agency of the U.S. state of California. The CHP has patrol jurisdiction over all California highways and are also known as the state police. They also have jurisdiction over city roads, and have the right to conduct law enforcement procedures there. Just a simple Google search. A few keys pressed and voila! Research. Also, very interestingly, the CHP also has officers assigned to drug task forces and other criminal investigative task forces throughout the state, and maintains highly trained warrant service teams WST, throughout each of its divisions. Though, I doubt Bobby volunteering to go undercover at a high school and lusting after an underage roller girl counts as a warrant service team duty. So minute 39, 39, Grease Hop is in the gym. This must, this is in the middle of the day, by the way. So they're, they, they just have a dance all it's day like long. It's like at lunch or something like that. It's okay. not like a, like, it's not like a night dance or anything. So what I notice is that Jim is the only thing that they, in this scene that actually still exists in this entire episode, that Jim still exists. Um, I watched my sisters-in-law play basketball there like 20 years ago. So I, that Jim still exists, you know, it still exists. It's, it's the still there thing. because basketball's there. Um, I see it every day because when I used to go to the track over there, and there are only pro dancers at this sock cop. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Including Danny Bonaducci comes in and he's, he's really dancing. good. Another uh, epiphany: greasers, just like from the book The Outsiders, greasers are always better than socias. That's right. That's right. Okay, Bobby is dancing with Melanie for no good reason. I mean, like, why is he like honing? He's on? already honed in on the seventeen-year-old girl or whatever. Yeah, this is weird. Okay. Anyway, teachers announce the king and queen. The king, it's Bonaducci. Then we find out his character's name is Myron Handelbaum. 
for king. And the girl that Matt made his cat comment to is the queen. Oh, this curly, then, curly red-haired girl? Like, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. And I want to say this. The, the 50s dance is fairly realistic. There's just t- too few people there. It looks right, like but a, they're also really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a social distancing 50s dance. It is, like they're perfect for now. Okay, minute 4204. Matt arrives and accosts Melanie and Bruce. He asks Bruce to have a word in private. Sure, Bruce replies. As they walk away, Matt says, maybe I was wrong about you. Maybe we could do a little business together. Now wait, this dude just tried to kill him the day before oh. in a truck, and in there's truck. no mention of it at all. <laughs> right, and what kind of business was he talking about? He would never talk to him about, like, boosting cars or anything like that. I have no idea. Uh, dance continues as a way to pad out the episode. The next scene is in the auto shop. The football coach has a blowtorch, and they're holding down Bruce. And Matt is accusing Bruce of tipping off the cops. And it's clear that Bruce is about to get hurt. Coach calls him a squealer. What do you squeal about? Like, he doesn't know anything. Yeah, yeah. This is where I say, like, look for the guy who got arrested at the Tiki Lounge boosting a car and has a gambling problem. Like, that is your your squealer. Well, he he was there the day before. How does he become a squealer? Anyway, Bruce grabs a blowtorch, and Matt punches him out, and they, they both carry Bruce to the van. To a van. I don't know, a van. It's just this white, nondescript van. I guess it was. it's like a cheap van they could use to destroy. Ponchanot John are on the way to the school, like they said. Casey, Jim Brown, sees Matt and the coach putting Bruce in the back of the van. He comes over to see what's up, and the coach sucker punches him in the stomach and then the face. Coach thinks he's down, but this is motherfucking Jim Brown. Brown. He karate kicks the coach in the face from the ground, then lays him out with a right hook. Yeah, Jim Casey, Brown kicks ass. With yeah, <laughs> then Casey turns the sights on Matt, who jumps in the driver's seat of the van and takes off just as the chips show up. So again, this is what I asked again. Where's the LAPD? <laughs> if you're in the valley and there's happening. That's right. Okay. Casey says, there's a kid named Bruce in the back of that van. And Chris says, thanks a lot, Casey. And Casey says, aw, forget about it, Poncherello. They act like they know that Casey beat up the coach, but how could they? they would have no idea what happened. Like, they weren't there. Yeah, they weren't. But then Grossman shows up to help out Casey. Poncho and Aunt John are suddenly in the valley again, chasing the white van. Yeah, they're suddenly um, in is what's supposed to be Sherman Oaks, but it looks like one of these pumpkin farms that's off the 101. Sure. We already had an old-timey truck crash and a fireworks truck blow up in this episode, so I'm anticipating something spectacular yes. here. Yeah. Okay, Matt looks pensive. Suddenly, he turns right. <laughs> There's no reason. He just turns right across the road and into a dirt, like into some dirt area, which would have been, I don't understand why he would go there, I guess to get caught. I guess they're going to beat up Bruce over there in the dirt area. So chips are chasing him through the dirt. Bruce comes to in the back of the van. Oh, no. Out of nowhere, a tractor-driving farmer shows up. (laughs) I can feel a paunch pun coming on for the two. Something about the farmer. So Matt swerves from the tractor. He goes down an embankment and stops. And that's it. There's no pun. There's no punchline. There's nothing spectacular. And they Bruce wasted so much time earlier in this episode with, like, three-minute dance sequences and stuff. This is your 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 ultimate climax, and it, the guy rolls down the hill and kind of, like, stops the car. Yeah. It, 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 was, like, it was, like, the most anticlimactic scene I can think of. In this. Right, exactly. So, anyway, 46-39. So, the chips pull the doors open, and they get Bruce out. They take Matt to custody, and that's it. And Well, anyway, so, well think of that. So 4639, they're back at Chipsense. What do you want to say? Well, this is basically when I came to the epiphany that Bruce keeps on lusting after the 16-year-old girl. Yes, because we're back at Chip Central. 
Bruce is walking with Melanie, the underage high school student. Melanie has decided to stay in school and even go to college. So, like, obviously, Bruce is in two days has changed her mind, and right. she's, she's now a student again. Yeah, he's a motocross racer. Anyway, <laughs> Bruce, thanks her for coming in to give a statement. Melanie, the underage high school student, kisses Bruce on the cheek. He stares at her as, as she walks away. Yeah, he's away, and it's like, she's 16, dude. Poncha, not John, and Bruce enter the briefing room where Harlan has a bunch of kitchen appliances lined up. Apparently, Roxanne sells this stuff. How much did all this cost, Ponch asks. If you have to ask, you can't afford it. But it was worth every penny, Harlan says, with a creepy wink. Freeze frame. Then yeah. everyone creepy smiles, and that's the end of the show. I said, please someone check Harlan's closet for Roxanne's parts. <laughs> it was completely like, like the end of this one was like, oh my God, that was scary. Like, like they were just... Oh. Seeing all those scenes from... You know, oh, hometown I, that don't oh, exist anymore. It's a great episode. Yeah, they were actually were they actually filmed it another episode what? right there when we were play, having a um, of somebody running on the track when we were having a, a soccer practice, but it would never show it up because it, this. I'm sure they did. They did some like B roll around there yeah. for something else too. Um, well, I love seeing the arcade. This is the old. This is the, not the only one. These the arcade. It's I think didn't um, Snow Pink show up at the arcade or not? No, I don't think we have to look. I don't think so. So yeah, this is the one that used the arcade. This is the video game themed episode. I think there is a, a heavy metal themed episode that comes up later in the season. Yeah, too with I'd Donnie. be interested to know. See, they filmed the show Riptide in Redondo as well. I don't know if there's any. Good. You know, they had Murray the Robot in that one. I don't know if there's anything in that one. I do know that the other I'd like to do like this is the Different Strokes video game episode, which is pretty good. I think if we could find the, I do. Okay, one that was a great episode. I mean, for chips, it was a great episode. Obviously, all the episodes have weird things that we're going to talk about. Great car, the arcade, our <laughs> arcade, the places that I see now, which is really cool. So, uh, the architecture that w- is gone for the most part that we went to yeah. school with. I think for Riptide, if we can find them, Riptide must have all kinds of local locations, especially that arcade that was. I'm going to wonder if Riptide has any scenes in the Redondo Beach Fun Factory. Yeah, that the Fun Factory arcade. So. Anyway, this is cool. So we're not going to just run down every episode of Chips, but this is a very special one. No. Cool. Well, there, there you go. That's our hometown arcade and high school that we might have gone to shut down in a single episode of Chips, and it just marked very much like the ability for us to see the past, to time yeah. travel back to something that doesn't exist anymore. So right stuck in the vertical blank. Now I own that episode. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Bill from Atari Bytes. Every week on my show, I play a great old game, then I read an original short story I wrote inspired by that game. Loosely inspired. Okay, often completely different. Sometimes not even based on any sort of reality. In contrast, on Into the Vertical Blank, which you're listening to right now, you get real stories about real people and what these games mean to them. So keep listening. All right, Jeff, the Chips episode. <laughs> Was that one of the worst pieces of TV ever? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still happy I paid only paid two ninety nine for it. Well, now you can see the arcade, though, in HD, and that's cool. Like, I, I, I still yes. look at some of those pictures, and even though the games are covered up, it's still really fun to see those things you know obviously you know it's a little self-indulgent 
that we got to talk about our own arcade in an episode of Chips. But well, you know it was what? an episode of Chips, so it's not. Uh, and it was from the time, as of the time. As of, by the way, I looked around to see if Riptide was available, or to see the descriptions and also um, different strokes to see if I could find that um, that arcade episode. But I couldn't. Not, neither were available right now. So I don't know. Maybe we should just leave it for right now at the chips episode yeah we don't need to do too much pop culture we'll hit another no. one next year no, i just remember um dana plato having she has multiple ties to video games we don't have to go into all of them but i remember saying hit the dad uh mr drummond asking what is and whatever the name of the game was and she, and she says daddy it's one of those weird video games oh wait no 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 I, we've got we've got to find that one anyway <laughs> we've got to see that we will. So that'll be the next one, but but that won't. It doesn't have to be this year. It can be. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Okay, that that was cool, Jeff. And and where does where does Castle Park live, Jeff? In the vertical blanks. That's right, Jeff. In the because it does blanks. not exist anymore. No, not at all. <laughs> Nothing exists. Prepare to write new data, V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.